electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Craig Mazin joins us today, uh, co-creator, executive producer, and showrunner of The Last of Us, as you know, currently airing on HBO. Craig, it's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time. My pleasure. Great to be here. Uh, it's already, as we know, uh, one of the best pilots HBO's ever had. I guess I'm wondering how you're absorbing all of that and how much you sort of suspected uh, this reaction would, would be in place, given sort of the built-in audience of that source material. Well... Certainly, the built-in audience for the source material was encouraging. I mean, everybody wants that sort of uh, head start, but uh, I think anybody that expects this level of success is a little off kilter. I mean, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I, I always brace for the worst. Uh, all I really want is for people to watch it and enjoy it, but the response from critics and from the audience has been overwhelming so far. It's, it's just been great, and, and I honestly feel like we haven't even shown people the best of what we have yet. Yeah, well, I, we can't wait. Let's talk a bit about that in a second. I am curious, though, going back to the origin of how you came to know um, the initial product and then, of course, uh, Neil Druckmann and your interest in that and how you wrestled with sort of games as, as source material. People argue it's had a, a spotty uh, record in the past. Was there a feeling that this was a, a challenge to show them how it's done, so to speak? Well, that's a really interesting question. I, I, I never thought of it as a challenge because I had The Last of Us. It's a game that I played when it came out in 2013, and you know, I've played it many times since on the PlayStation 3, 4, and now 5. Um, and I was also working with Neil Druckmann, so I had this inc incredible head start. Um, the fact that The Last of Us has such a strong narrative with such an incredible relationship at the heart of it made it very adaptable to me. So it, I don't think Neil or I set out, uh, set out to um, prove anybody wrong or right about how video games should be adapted. What we set out to do is adapt this story. And I knew in my TV bones that this was an incredibly adaptable story. Yeah. What, what about it specifically gave you that confidence? Well, a lot of video games really do center on gameplay, which makes sense. They are games. And... 90% of the time you put in, and in some of these games you're talking about 50 to 200 hours of gameplay, is dedicated to gameplay. Um, but The Last of Us concentrates largely on human relationships, and very specifically relationships between people who have no supernatural abilities. They are living in our world, and what they're grappling with are pretty complicated uh, subjects. The, the theme of love and both the dark and light sides of love and what it can do to us and how it can set us free and how it can trap us and lead us to do terrible and wonderful things. That's pretty great dramatic stuff to work with. It is, and, and it's remarkable the way you were able to sort of absorb that, the power of that narrative from outside, match it with what Neil was already thinking from the inside, and then together try to pitch that to HBO. Just talk about how that all worked as that those confluence that, that that the confluence of factors. What what did HBO say when you first came to them? 
Well, HBO is a pretty special place in a world where there are a lot of choices and a lot of streamers and, and quite a few places that I think stress volume as opposed to quality. HBO is still a highly curated platform. And after Chernobyl, uh, I came to them and I said, well, what do you guys want so I can think about what I ought to do next? And Casey Bloys, who runs HBO, said, I want you to do whatever makes you levitate. And about <laughs> a month later, I heard that The Last of Us was perhaps in play. And I met with Neil and we had this incredible conversation. And then I, I called Casey and said, OK, I'm levitating. Please, please buy me The Last of Us, please. <laughs> and like, look, you know, and uh, it was the most expensive Christmas present anyone's ever gotten me. And they, we came and laid the whole story out for them, and we were off and running. It's remarkable. And then later, having met with Neil, didn't you send Bloys a note that said, I am currently levitating? So that came oh, full yes. circle. That came full circle. The levitation occurred, and they did support me. And... They didn't just support me by saying, hey, look, because it's not like they're not gamers. They don't know. Casey never played The Last of Us. Franny Orsi, who runs uh, drama at HBO, she never played The Last of Us. But they know a good story when they hear one. And they know a story that's HBO worthy when they hear one. And they supported us not only by making this all happen, but giving us a lot of resources to tell the story the way we wanted to. It's a big story to tell. It involves a lot of visual effects. It involves a big cast. A lot of physical builds, prosthetics. We shot for 200 days. So you can imagine, um, you know, we needed a lot of support and they gave it to us. Yeah. It's, you know, it's remarkable. We, we talk a lot about HBO uh, from a Wall Street perspective and with the, with the knowledge that they've been through a series of ownership changes. And I wonder how the creative community, I mean, you're a veteran. You go back to where uh, Chernobyl was a, a big piece of what I guess is now being called one of the original team's uh, success stories. And, and, you've, and you've stayed with them. How does the culture stay, stay constant when the corporate ownership uh, changes over time? You know, it's easy to get caught up in that stuff. And I suspect that if you are a Wall Street investor, or you're managing funds or you're watching things from a corporate level, all of this stuff is, you know, exciting, interesting, scary. For me, uh, I'm an artist. My job is to make stuff. Um, and the people that were there when I was making Chernobyl, most of them are still there. Casey was there and Franny was there. And, um, you know, so it's... Uh, it's for me, it's as simple as just keep making good things. And it, uh, I don't, it's amazing how many people lose sight of this. If you make a good show, none of the rest of it really matters. It doesn't matter ultimately who's running the company, which corporation buys which other corporation. The one thing that they're all chasing quality material that people watch. Right. So, as a showrunner, you know, executive producers are, are infamous for getting notes from the, the executives, right? Notes from the studio. Uh, notes from up above. With this project, you also, I would imagine, have to fold in some notes, quote unquote, from a fan base that is rabid about being loyal to the source material. Uh, is it any different than a fan base that's loyal to a book? And how does that affect your creative decisions uh, during writing and production? I think the fan base for video games tends to be more passionate than the fan base for books. Um, there is this strong emotional connection that gamers have with the games they play and very strong, very strong connection to Joel and Ellie, the main characters of The Last of Us. We're talking about 
characters whose faces people have put on their skin with tattoos. I mean, th this, this is incredibly important to them. I don't think Neil or I thought for a moment that the best way to do this would be to just continually poll fans and see what they wanted. The best way for us to do this would be to follow the same creative instincts that led to The Last of Us existing in the first place, which is answering to ourselves and our instincts, or, you know, in the case of the game, Neil, and in the case of the show, the two of us. As the creator of a game, as a fan of the game, which is my position, what do we want to see? How do we want to tell the story? And what do we think ultimately would make the best show? And then we just have to have faith that the people who love The Last of Us will see what we're doing, appreciate the decisions we made, and love it too. And so far, I have to say, I've been bowled over by the reception that the show's had among the fans in particular, but just as importantly, this entire new audience that never played The Last of Us and didn't know the story at all. Yeah, no, I mean, being able to to please those two giant constituencies is amazing. I, I did see Bella Ramsey was said in an interview that she was advised, you know, it's not important that you play the game very much before or during shooting. Was there an attempt to create some white space between the creative staff and the, and the product itself? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Um, I, I know that uh, fans got a little nervous when they heard that. And what I wanted to say then, but you know, sometimes it's better to just, you know, stay quiet and let the show speak for itself, <laughs> uh, is that Neil and I know the game inside and out, every frame of it as the man who made it, as a guy who played it obsessively, we know it. It's our job to pour all of that onto the page. And then we want our actors to be able to perform that following their own instincts. The worst possible thing we could have done is ask Pedro Pascal or Bella Ramsey to imitate Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson, who both played Joel and Ellie brilliantly in the game. We wanted them to be able to come at it on their own naturally. And lo and behold, what people see, I think, is there is a lot of similarity. No surprise, they are playing these parts. Um, you know, lot, there are lots of parts that multiple actors have played, and you try and make sure that they're not getting into the trap of imitating each other, but rather coming at it fresh. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I tweeted an interview with uh, HBO's marketing chief who talked about establishing trust uh, with the with the game's fan base. And a friend of mine quoted it, and he said, with the Marvel DC hegemony looking a bit tired, maybe video game adaptations finally get the best and the brightest. I know it's not your job to weigh in on that, but I do wonder if you think maybe it's it's more, it's a, it's a fresh field in terms of what's ripe for, for IP. It is. I think that in the past, Adaptations of video games have in certain areas struggled because the companies were approaching it a bit cynically. They didn't quite understand the passion that people had for video games. They themselves weren't connected to that material in an emotional way. So what they looked at was a balance sheet of sales and built an audience and they made a calculated decision. The problem then is a lot of times you end up with an adaptation that isn't really doing anything for the people that love the material in the first place. It's not doing anything for people who didn't know about the material. So you end up somewhere in the soggy middle. Um, if there's anything that comes out of this that's good for our business, it's that maybe we've shown a different way to adapt video games that other people might heed. And I'm not saying that we're uh, geniuses that everyone needs to follow, uh, but I think <laughs> You know, maybe we've shown a little bit of a path of how things could work better. Yeah.
couple of questions about streaming in general these days. Um, you know, there's this real play on virality, right? Looking for things that are viral. Um, Netflix would point to what they did for Kate Bush uh, or what they're doing for a certain uh, brand of makeup sales after Wednesday. I you're going to already move to Pesh Mode uh, after the pilot. Do are showrunners thinking about that in, in the process? What about what we're doing right now is, is going to explode? I can't speak for other showrunners. I can only speak for myself, and the answer is no. Uh, the most important thing is to stay honest and true to whatever you're building. And if you do, what you find then is that people seize upon things and it becomes part of popular culture. I mean, I remember watching people making memes out of Chernobyl and I was flabbergasted. I couldn't believe it, but at no point did I ever think, oh, I'm going to write this line. It's going to be a great <laughs> meme. Uh, that's, that is a path to disaster. So... Uh, I would basically encourage any showrunner, if you want to use a song, a bit of pop culture, a product, to do it because it's right. And then, you know, if the world reacts, fantastic. Yeah. Finally, um, and again, coming from sort of a corporate perspective, everyone is talking about the business media in general, trying to right-size costs, right, uh, go for profitability over growth. Um, do, does the creative community think about that? Are our budgets already actively reflecting that? Are there pressures where you didn't see them two or three years ago? How does that uh, filter down into the, into the creative spot? We do think about it. We talk about it with, amongst ourselves all the time. We talk about it as a collective in terms of the Writers Guild, which is about to have a negotiation with the companies, as they do every three years. Um, it impacts us tremendously. Ultimately, the resources that we have are essential for us to tell stories to people. Every story requires a different level of commitment, but um, I think the streaming business seems to have recognized that it can't spend its way to success. Um, I'm saying that <laughs> cringing slightly because I'm the one asking for all this money to make a show. <laughs> but at some point, as creators, we also need to know that we're working for healthy platforms that aren't going to disappear. So my hope is that, as we have always seemed to be able to do, albeit sometimes via strife, that the creative community and the business side can come together to keep things going in a healthy way. Because the one thing I know is, of all the industries the United States has, entertainment still is the one where we have absolute dominance across the world. People still look to the U.S. and to Hollywood to lead the way in entertainment. That's a great point. And actually, it brings me to one couple of last questions. One is that one emerging model, clearly Netflix is the tip of the spear here, is you find content anywhere in the world uh, and amortize it across the globe, lower your production cost. Is that, I mean, I guess how does the showrunner's view of the your addressable market, the number of people who might watch one of Craig's programs, is it more global now? I assume it has to be more global now than it's ever been in your career. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And I think that that uh, in, that affects different streamers in different ways. HBO, for instance, has HBO Linear, where it airs over satellite or you know cable, and then it has HBO Max, which is its streaming platform, but also has partners all around the world. Then, on the other hand, you have Netflix, which is Netflix anywhere you go. So there are different business models for how you approach these things, um, but we do think globally, and that's one area where I think video games become a very attractive um, uh, proposal for companies because they are global. I know, for instance, 
the opening of The Last of Us in Brazil, I think was HBO's largest series premiere ever. Uh, and as you know, there, there are a few people in Brazil. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yes. you can reach these populous countries like this, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. You have said that uh, you and Neil believe that stories have endings, but have you thought about how many seasons this might go? We have. Uh, I won't break any news with you today, but I will say that um, the story that remains in the source material uh, is quite a lot. It's more than would fit into a single season. We were able to fit the story of the first game into a single season, and we're really proud of that, but uh, mostly because I, I, I like to keep every episode exciting. I, don't, I'm, I hate filler. So um, the one thing I won't do is stretch it out, but I do know that we have enough material to adapt to account for at least, you know, two seasons. Uh, well, audiences, uh, thank you and Neil, uh, Craig, for, for bringing such exciting content. I got to say, just personally, uh, the first 40 minutes of the pilot has got to be some of the best TV we've seen in a very long time. Uh, thanks for the chat. It's great to see you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 